0: Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to The Cell. We broadcast on WGRN 94.1 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WGRN 94.1. For more information on the Faith Thomas Foundation, please visit our website, Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is FM. I like to welcome our listeners
1: back. Boy is it cold outside and I hope that everyone is staying bundled up and being safe. Please don't forget also to be COVID safe. Wear a mask, wash your hands, and stay six feet apart. We are not only dealing with the pandemic, but we also need to recognize and be aware of the fact that we may have or no family members and friends who are dealing with depression, anxiety, and even thoughts of suicide, especially with the unexpected changes that have taken place in everyone's life over the past year, and especially with the upcoming holidays. Those are two important holidays for everyone. And with all the changes that have taken place, a lot of people are going to be, you know, feeling a certain way because they're not going to be able to celebrate it the way that they have in the past. So, with us today, We have Columbus Public Health, Marianne Stuckley. She is Section Chief of the City of Columbus Neighborhood Social Services. Hello, Marianne. Hi, Believe. Hi, everyone. Oh, I also have with me my partner in crime, Mr. Ernest Kelly. Hello, Ernie.
2: Hello. Hello, Marianne.
1: And Mr. Stephanie Thomas. Ms. Stephanie Thomas, how you doing, Stephanie? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show, Marianne. Marian, what i like to start out with is you letting our listeners know a little bit about yourself. You know, how did you end up coming to the current position that you're in right now at the Columbus Public Health Department? Yes, that's a great question. So my journey to my current job
3: is also all over the place. I, um, I started out doing um, actually benefits at Job and Family Services um, and realized that, um, just having to take benefits away from people and I didn't necessarily know their circumstances was not something that I wanted to do for the long haul. And so from there, I ended up going back to school and got my, um, my Master's in Social Work and then started working in positions where I had the opportunity to work with people side by side. I felt like a partnership in their lives. And so that kind of uh, foundation has really set the tone for me in my professional career Um, Just being able to be, for example, I started off as a case manager after college. And for those who don't know, that's really someone, again, who is working alongside another person, helping them overcome barriers, and that could be mental health barriers. It could be um, just kind of environmental things. It can be issues of poverty. Just really kind of seeing what it's like from someone's perspective. And I think that, again, just trying to walk them out in someone else's shoes is something that really helps us to see. Uh, what it's like to to be um, in someone else's position. And I really saw that firsthand. Uh, I then went on to do some work in um, education and then transitioned to my work in public health. Um, Started off doing health insurance enrollment. Again, just understanding the importance of access to not only physical health, but behavioral health needs. And so being able to um, just maximize um, health insurance options for Columbus residents, was my focus in that position, and then I trans- transitioned to uh, the role, uh, my current role, which is around neighborhood-based um, needs, social needs, behavioral health needs, physical health needs, and then um, here lately, I've worked on a big program, I would say, called the Columbus Care Coalition, which focuses on community trauma, so really looking at um, things that happen in the community, such as homicides or shootings. Um, fires, just large-scale things that have a really hard impact on the community and, for, again, bringing services to people to show them that we are here and that we care and, you know, that they don't have to go about things alone. So that's that's kind of how I came to where I am currently, and I absolutely love the work that I do. Okay, so you're a giver. Love to give. Tell us about
1: the CARE Coalition.
3: So the care coalition, the care coalition works with families, and that includes children. And it includes across the lifespan. It's amazing work in the sense that um, when trauma happens to someone, and what I mean by trauma is, it's just a when our ability to cope with something is overwhelmed, it can put us in a state of of a, of a trauma. Um, and basically, everybody's threshold for trauma and and, and resilience is different. Um, but when we when we're able to uh, respond to you know families. Uh, we're able to give them some resources, some support. We're able to just go out and say, hey, like we know that you've been through a really difficult time, and we're here to help. We're here to help, and they we really center around the the person and the family, and to ask them what their needs are. It's not about pressuring people to do anything, but more or less just helping them um, navigate during a really stressful time where everything is, is mostly overwhelming and they're having to make a lot of decisions, and it can be really difficult. So just really giving them the space to know that, again, that there are people there that, there that care and want to support them. And so that's that's care. And, again, we work with – it just depends on what, what happens. So the, sometimes we work with families after the loss of a child, for example. Um, and it can, it, it's, it's very much so related to gun violence most of the time, but sometimes there's other, other things that come up. Um, car crashes was one, for example. There's a variety of different things, um, but oftentimes we're called out to gun violence, and it's tragic for you know, the different situations that we're, have we're responding to, um, but also just, again, being that little light of hope um, during a very dark
2: time for many families. Uh, Miriam, you guys are seem to be real busy this year with uh, a lot of the things going on in the community and stuff like that. So... When like, like one of the kids shot his brother, would you guys be called out for something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be you yourself. You would be your staff. How many how many uh, employees or people work with you in your in mm-hmm. your area?
3: Yeah. So the beauty of our work is I have a staff that's employed at Columbus Public Health of six people. So there's six people that work directly under me, and that includes outreach workers and social workers. But we also have a whole coalition, and a coalition of mental health professionals, community members. Uh, We have a specialized team called the Community Trauma Resource Team, and that is individuals who are trained in crisis intervention and psychological first aid that we can call on, too, to help us in certain situations. So um, we're really fortunate to have the support of so many different community partners that help make it possible for us to, um, like, for example, we do in, during normal times outside of the pandemic, for example, we would do door-to-door outreach in about a two-block radius around where the incident occurred, and so we really call on our partners to help us, you know, boots on the ground, bringing our services to the community, for example. Um, but, yeah, that's one example of how we are able to mobilize not only staff, but also community members, and we're always... Um, we're always welcoming new people to come and join our effort as well.
2: Had another question. This is this is probably just a policy question because you know all the talk about having social services go into uh, neighborhoods with police officers. I was wondering, Miriam, if mm-hmm. you could uh, speak to that. Have you had? Have you guys had any kind of uh, discussion down there, at City Hall, about that? happening or not
3: happening? I can tell you very preliminarily that there is discussions on hiring social workers to be part of outreach teams. And so, um, unfortunately, I can't speak a lot to that because I'm not necessarily in those conversations, but I know that um, here recently there's been a lot of conversation around how can we mobilize social workers and those who are trained to deal with uh, mental health mental health crisis and even like, you know, socioeconomic things that are happening um, that are causing problems. So like root cause issues instead of just the things that are presenting. So I know that that is definitely a conversation. Um, I'm, I'm too kind of waiting to see where that'll, where that'll land if um, you know, and, and how my team can be a support to that, because honestly, the model that we do is, is quite, is kind of kind of similar to that in terms of, you know, responding after a crisis and kind of helping with the mm-hmm. emotional, um, aspects of, you know, people, dealing with a crisis, and so um, I, I can say, yes, I know that it's, it's in the it's in the works, but I don't have all the, the full details on all the ins and outs, but I know that that is definitely a priority of, of our city leadership.
2: Okay, thank you.
1: Um, in regards to, uh, I know that you have your community outreach, and you said that anyone, you look for volunteers. What is it that you're looking for in your volunteers, and do you require special type of, like, certifications or degrees behind it? Yeah, so we actually are pretty open with our volunteers. It's really a time commitment, and that's really kind of the hard part is
3: um, just making sure people are aware that we do ask you to do a certain number of outreaches each year. We ask you to, to help us respond to crisis. We have a debriefing model that we use. It's actually called NOVA, which stands for the National Organization of Victims Assistance. And so we actually put our volunteers through a three-day training so they are able to respond um, but in terms of and that that becomes a certificate I would say. Um so we're really help we're really um our goal is to open it up to the community and to have those who are um living in communities where, you know, trauma is happening to help us be that, you know, that lived experience, that voice. And uh, we want to make sure that we offer it to, like, pretty far and wide to people to be able to embark on the the training opportunity. So you don't necessarily have to be, like, a social worker or a counselor already, uh, but just, I would say, having a heart for people. You talked about giving earlier, just wanting to give back to communities that have seen a lot of pain and suffering, and uh, the time commitment to to be able to respond and to be able to, you know, help us out. Uh, It's not like it, it happens or, like, instantaneously, we usually have a couple of days' notice and there's some planning that goes in. So it's not like it's um we need a quick turnaround per se, but it is, like, a couple-day turnaround time. So just allowing people to, you know, check with their schedules and create some space for us to do outreach within, the, within their workday or within their day is really our biggest ask.
1: If you guys excuse me for a minute, we need to take an identification break.
2: Hi, this is Ernest Kelly with the Faith Thomas Foundation. You're listening to the Cell on 94.1 FM WGRN and WGRN.org worldwide. Listen to us every Wednesday night at 7:30 p.m.
1: I have a question. Um, obviously, with COVID, um, I feel like mental health has been something that um, not always. Not only we've been able to raise awareness, but it has definitely impacted people's mental health, um, just due to being affected for laws, um, just the experience in general. Um, how has COVID impacted you guys and the services that you guys provide? Have you guys hired new people just to specifically focus on those that have been impacted by COVID? Has your workload went up? How has COVID impacted your services? Yeah, COVID definitely came and, and changed pretty much
3: everything. Um, so for us, it changed how we had to, how we were able to do outreach. We had to, we had to scale back on our door-to-door outreach just for the safety of everyone involved. Um, and we we tried to monitor like when cases um, where we where we are as a as a city with cases to see how we could go back out again because one of the things that we really value again is bringing our services to the community and so to not be able to do that felt like we were really it felt like a loss right to not be able to like for example say a homicide happened and then we couldn't do our direct engagement with the community felt like like we were not able to kind of fulfill our mission so we were all trying to figure out how we could best do it um we, we kind of We've kind of found different ways of kind of just doing, like, maybe more of a lit drop instead of, you know, actually, and it's an, it's another thing, too, to, to knock on someone's door and expect residents to, you know, want to engage with it. someone they don't, they don't necessarily know and don't know their status, you know, so it's important that we created some space, and so one of the things we did was do more lit drops, and at this time, we're... Just doing mailers, um, which we know we're trying to work through, again, the nuances of the, the pandemic. So that's one way that it, it affected us um, kind of on the negative end. But I would say we continue to do what we call next of kin contacts, um, and that's-we we call the families directly. So we kind of work in, in circles. So we work for the-so the, the first circle is those who are most closely impacted by the situation. So we still are able to connect with those families directly. And this year, we've been able to really implement a grief basket delivery, um, so that's something we're really proud of, to be able to just give a little bit of comfort, just a little bit. really We know it's not, um, it's not a lot, but it's a little something during a time of grief to the family. So we were able to hand deliver a grief basket to those families, um, and we're able to um, just kind of get the word out about our services still being available do anything like virtual debriefings, that kind of thing. But sure, you're right, it's definitely been difficult, especially for our, our the way we deliver our services to try to figure out the best way to reach people during the pandemic. Um, I will also say, we've, we've talked a lot about this, but there's, the, there's if you kind of can envision like the wave of the pandemic and then on top of that is a bigger wave and that's like the mental health aspect of everyone dealing with the pandemic. So one thing we've also tried to focus on as a coalition it's just really being honest about and upfront about the implications of the pandemic and how it is really—it's really been an extremely difficult time for people. Not only because of job loss and financial financial insecurity, but also just isolation and just not being able to connect with family. Um, we're we're social beings and relationships are healing, and so it's really hard when we can't have that. You know that human touch and those times of family. So it's it's really been um, something that it's it's hard to see when when people are distant and not able to connect in the same ways. So we've really tried to work on providing as much education as we can about mental health and about like what are the signs to look for and um, like finding different ways to connect. I uh, would call it kind of replacement behavior. So what are some of the other things, what are the other ways that you can connect in these times? I know we we see a lot of the Zoom meetings and um, just connecting through different ways, maybe having, like making sure you're social distancing and all that, um, but kind of almost reframing it, uh, It's a little bit less of it. So we're still able to be social, but we're just not able to be physically close as we were. So, so kind of reframing the social distancing to... Um, maybe like the physical distancing, so we can still maintain social contact, but just in different ways, but it's it's really been tough, and just to see how the pandemic has really changed many people, like, you know, the majority of the way people do business, but also the resilience and the creativity that's come up as a result has been really great to see. Um, so that's that's really what I would say around how we've had to maneuver. Of course, CPH as a whole, our whole structure is different right now because of the pandemic. So that's a whole nother thing. But for my program specifically, it's just been about trying to find more creative ways of reaching out to maintain safety, but also to maintain that social connection. Awesome. Well, thank you very
1: much for explaining that. I would like to ask about your community trauma response team. and. Um, could you give us an example, like if you received one, a phone call about a trauma? Because I know like we're dealing with COVID-19, and when you're dealing with that type of situation in their family, I know it's hard to not want to necessarily be close or, you know, you want to be more intimate uh, and mm-hmm. with that situation. Can you kind of, you know, mm-hmm. like walk us through, like you just received a phone call, that there was, I think like Ernie gave one, you know, uh, the young man being shot. Can you walk us through what your community response team would do? Absolutely. So, um, say we
3: got a notification that, you know, there's been a loss in the community, what we do, our first our first point of contact is always the family. We always want to start there and work our way from there. And so we'll do all we can to reach the family, to check in with them. Um, It's it's such an overwhelming time, especially if it's like a, a loss of a loved one. So just being able to like maneuver all the different decisions that are being thrown at them all at once. You have the funeral, you have understanding what happened, you have the sadness, the grief, and the shock, all kind of balled up into one and so what we hear time and time again is that the families are just so overwhelmed and not quite sure where to start and so uh, but also also interestingly they also talk a lot about um, just how how insensitive people can be um, in in the process and so we we really uh, we do just kind of a sidebar we do focus groups too with families to kind of really learn about what their experience was because we find it really important as as service professionals to be able to, get that real-time feedback about what families are facing and how we can improve and how we can do things differently and better. And so, um, a lot of the information we've we heard, again, is just that it's, there's so much being thrown at the families all at once. And, we, and even, honestly, sometimes, like, trying to fit in another call is difficult. So, we keep that in mind, too. But we do, as soon as we hear about the loss, we do try to reach out. Um, and see if we can connect and um, connect them. Sometimes with, um, like victims of crime, for example, depending on the nature of the loss, if it was a violent loss, there's some resources that could be helpful.
1: Um, but
3: also just checking in with them, seeing if they need resources for the for this funeral and burial. So there's several things here in Columbus that um, are available to help families. So we have you got some listings of things to help families with that piece. Um, also. Eventually, and maybe this is not always at the, you know, that first call. We we have a system where we call every about three months or so, because, again, we know that sometimes in the midst of everything that's going on, it's not the most appropriate time to talk about, you know, connection to therapy at that time. Um, It's really just them trying to figure out what they need to do minute by minute. And so um, we also, in the initial part of our interaction with the family, we'll work on Uh, Again, those immediate connections with with needs, burial information, Um, we try to get the grease basket out to them as soon as we can, if possible. And then from there, we kind of circle back a few months later to check in and see how they're doing. And it's generally at that time that we work to connect them with some ongoing support uh, around like mental health therapy, we're able to kind of help process through with them. Uh, you know, if they have other children in the home or family members that are really struggling, just kind of planning how to best get the family supported. And so that's our kind of step one. Step one is the family, those closely impacted by the situation. And then the second part for us is the community. So again, we kind of we kind of map out that two to three block radius of where where it happened. And during times that we can, we've done direct door to door outreach. So we bring some of our material, and that includes, like, how do you cope after a community loss or how do you cope with community violence? Uh, we find that just having information is important, and the more we can kind of talk to people about that, I'm not sure. You don't know how much people are reading after you give them the information, but the most, the more you can kind of just say, hey, like, you know, my name's Mary, and I'm here with the CARE Coalition. Are you okay? Like, it's, it's generally just as simple as that. And people will choose to open up if they have time to and are willing to. Oftentimes people do want to talk. Um, I'll never forget one of our first times going out, we had a man who had recently moved from um, California, I believe, and he shared with us that, you know, he had just moved to this neighborhood and he thought he was he was doing something that really helped his family. And then, you know, a homicide happened what, a few, few doors down and it was really hard for him to accept his sense of safety was really jeopardized as well as his family and that heaviness of the loss of life that happened just a couple of doors down. So it's amazing and I always say when you open the door, you know, people will come and they'll tell you their experiences and they'll share with you, you know, things that they might be holding on to. And so you as know, as a mental health professional myself and a therapist, I see every day the value in just having that person or that support system that you can really talk to and you can really open up to. We all, like, we all need that. We all need that person that we can just talk to and not feel judged, but to feel 100% safe and you can just kind of just breathe out, just let it all out and just know that it's going to land in a safe place with with someone who cares about your well-being and just wants you to be okay. So we've kind of tried to replicate that on a community version or a community scale. But also knowing too, one thing I've observed is just the low mental health utilization overall sometimes in communities of color. And so it's really important for us too to kind of start to build rapport and to say like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a social worker and I'm here to help. And this is kind of, this is what we do to kind of start building that, that bridge. So, um, again, to kind of get back to, uh, what I was sharing, the second part would be community outreach. Uh, And then kind of connecting the community members to resources as needed. Another quick example is one of the first times that we went out, it was around Thanksgiving time. So being able to share Thanksgiving, you know, meal giveaways and um, just different things that were going on was also helpful. So just just being helpful, just, again, being a giver. Um, Ms. Felita, as you said, being a giver. Like, what does it look like to be a giver, you know, all the time in communities of need? And this is really something that we really strive to do overall. Um, Another thing, I would say kind of like the third circle or the third thing that we do um, as needed would be called a community debriefing. And so let's say something recently happened and, um, you know, there's, there's community members who are just kind of reeling from the loss and shock,' because, you know, whenever we're faced with a situation that we weren't necessarily prepared for, we have to understand that there's emotional reactions to that. And part of that is shock and disbelief and um, deep depression sometimes and just, you know, sadness, grief. And so a, de- a debriefing is actually bringing people together and just holding space to talk about things. Um, to kind of really get those feelings out and to be validated by those in the room who have similar experiences and were also um, affected by whatever the situation was. But then also, again, our, our our follow-up is always to help people get connected to resources at the end. So that's kind of our, our three-stage process as we think about the community trauma resource team and the work that we do.
2: Yeah, Marion i You know, just listening to that, that that sounds pretty uh, uh, intensive as far as outreach and uh, connecting, but I I keep thinking about the budget. How is that going to impact your budget this year with COVID for the upcoming year?
3: So right now, um, I'm not aware of any, like, budgetary cuts or anything. So my program is is going to be operating as, as is. Um, as far as I'm, I'm aware of, I know that there's been, you know, other things that, you know, that, that may not be uh, operating in the same capacity. But the care coalition and our um, neighborhood social work program is is very fortunate to be able to operate without any cuts or any issues based on the pandemic. So we're still we're still okay, and um, as soon as we can safely so get back out, we will definitely be back out in the community.
0: Excuse me, but our time has run out. You just listened to part one of Columbus Public Health with Mary Ann Stuckey talking about the Columbus Care Coalition and the type of services they provide within our community on behalf of the City of Columbus. To learn more about the Columbus Care Coalition, you can log on to the City of Columbus Public Health Department's website. You can also email them at health@columbus.gov. And call them at 614-645-6807. So, I hope you tune in next Wednesday for part two. This is Felicia Keep Out. The Faith Thomas Foundation would like to thank you for listening to The Cell. We broadcast on WGRN 94.1 FM every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. You can also stream us live on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. on WGRN 94.1. For more information on the Faith Thomas Foundation, please visit our website, Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is FaithThomasFDN.